Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to PR360. My guest today is, uh, get ready for this, out of this world. I I worked on that all morning. Uh, It's uh, Camille Elizabeth Bergen, an aerospace engineer turned business strategist and science communicator. She's known on social media as at the Galactic Gal, where she has earned over half a million followers. Her goal is to make STEM education more accessible by breaking down barriers to entry and encouraging everyone to encourage their STEM passions. Camille is also a public speaker who has traveled the world talking to schools and professionals about a variety of topics related to the space industry. Currently, she is the Advanced Programs Business Development Lead at OrbitFab, a startup building the space propellant supply chain and their gas stations in space satellite refueling service. Have I missed anything there? Did we get it? I think we got it. Thank you. Um... You know, I was I started with you know out of this world, and then, and then also I was going to say this podcast we're boldly going where the podcast has never gone before. I had a whole bunch of cheesy stuff set up. <laughs> Are you tired of that when you you do podcasts or public events and people lean into the Galactic Gal brand? No, no, no. I love it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't when I first started Galactic Gal. I didn't think that it would ever end up like this. But you know, honestly, I just I love the all the puns about uh, space. <laughs> whenever I talk to people. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, well, you know, because you're going to have to suffer it anyway. So you know, might as well, might as well. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> uh, so some of the biggest work you do is as a science educator is inspiring people to get into STEM. And obviously, we stem for for those who are new to that term. It's science, technology. What's the e? Engineering. Engineering and mathematics. Right. Okay. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and so uh, you encourage people to get into those fields. And what are the biggest barriers preventing, I guess, mostly young people from from getting into STEM? Yeah, I think it really depends on the individual person, but there are a couple different things that I see a lot. Um, I think that not having role models or representation in the field is a huge one. Not seeing somebody that looks like you, right, is going to discourage you from entering this field. Um, You know, and and I experienced that growing up uh, in the early 2000s, right? Like the whole women in STEM movement wasn't as strong as it is now. And um, I barely saw women in STEM on TV or movies or books or whatever, right? And um, I most definitely didn't see it in my day-to-day, like, physical life either. Um, Which brings me to my next point, which is geographical limitations. I think it very, very much depends on where you grow up and what opportunities you have in that environment that you grew up in. So for me, growing up in rural North Carolina, um, I I did not have access to the space industry at all, and I barely had access to engineering. Mm. and so I didn't, I didn't see it around me, um, which was further exacerbated by not seeing it on TV and we didn't have social media or anything. And so, you know, every time my dad would tell me I'd make a great engineer, I would just say, no, dad, that's for boys because mm. I just 
didn't see that I could do this. Um, and, you know, so that kind of goes along with lack of opportunities if they, you know, if you weren't exposed to like science camps or a lot of science and math and engineering in your education, your upbringing, like, right. It's just, it just seems so like foreign to you, mm-hmm. um, which brings me to my last point, which is the stigma that you have to be super smart. You have to be a genius. You have, it's, it's rocket science, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it's very inaccessible if you don't have accessible opportunities and role models and representation. Yeah. That's why I got into podcasting because you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do this. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you said that and I thought to myself before when I was preparing to speak with you, like, uh, myself as a kid, I, my parents worked in aerospace. Uh, I grew up in that kind oh. of part of town where it was everywhere. Um, my mom was at mm-hmm. TRW and my dad worked in kind of international sales of like DOD stuff. And so I was, I was around oh, cool. it, but it always seemed to me, even as a male, Somebody who was in his environment, I thought, oh man, that's for that's for the kids who are like in advanced trigonometry in the eighth grade, right? That's not for me in math A mm-hmm. in the ninth grade. So yep. there was maybe a failure yeah. on in, I don't know from the education system or you know for, to let me know like, hey, you you do have a shot in aerospace. Yeah, absolutely. I, that is actually one of the most common questions I get when I talk to students is can I still be an engineer if I'm not really good at math? And my answer is always absolutely, right? There are so many different types of engineering in the real world that don't require you to be like super good at handwritten calculations. Actually, most of them, right? Mm. Like we have a computer do that all for you. So, um, and then there are also like, there's so many different types of math and engineering from like calculus to linear algebra. And those are very different. And um, you could like one and not like the other. And that's totally fine. You know, just get through school and like use that as a foundation to help you with the rest of your passion. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that that is a huge barrier that people think that they have to be the like, you know, AP classes, top of the class valedictorian, whatever, right. To go into a STEM career. And that's just absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. So what flipped the switch for you? How did you go from rural North Carolina? Was it North Carolina, right? North yes. rural North North Carolina, a woman uh, at the time a girl, and what flipped the switch for you to be into that? Besides your dad going encouraging you, or, or was that it? Yeah, no, that was not it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Dad. Um, you know, I, I think that so really, what happened? I have a non traditional path to this industry, um, and I say non traditional, kind of going around what we were just talking about with like you know a lot of my engineering. Um, like a lot of my friends in engineering school did grow up like tinkering with things and building things and taking engineering classes in high school. When I was in high school, I was playing trumpet (laughs) and I was a nationally ranked trumpet player at a world renowned prestigious arts conservatory. It was a boarding school and I played my trumpet six hours a day. Uh, And I was traveling all over the country uh, competing and meeting with professors at universities and stuff like that. Um, And what really did it for me is going into that environment. You're probably thinking, wait, what? (laughs) That's art. That's so different. But the difference was that that school was designed for people to pursue their passions and get really good at them in a non-judgmental environment, Mm. right? You look at like normal high schools and it's very judgy, right? Kids are mean and it's very like, you know, it's all about status and it's all about like perception, 
And the school that I went to, the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, was just not like that. Everyone was there to pursue their craft and their passions. And so I was suddenly in an environment where I, you know, it was totally acceptable to be great at STEM and really interested in it. And in fact, a lot of us were because of the connection between an artist's brain and a mathematician, a scientist, you know, an engineer's brain. Um, and so I just felt like I was encouraged to actually pursue that. And so, um, you know, I also had some like really great uh, professors there, some really great mentors, uh, actual like women in STEM um, that helped me kind of like learn additional math and stuff uh, to see what I was interested in. And so that led me to the University of Tennessee. And when I got there, my eyes were opened even more because um, they have a phenomenal women in engineering program. And I was walking around the College of Engineering at like 16 years old, seeing a bunch of these women studying engineering. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I can actually do this now. This is awesome. Oh, wow. That's cool. You know, and you, you, you back things up a little bit. You were saying that there is a connection between the artist's brain and the engineer's brain. And that to me at first seems a little uh, against the common narrative where usually you were like, <laughs> you're really right brain, you're you're creative, you're really left brain, you're really uh, in, into math. Um, how do you how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, I mean, if we look at history and we look at like Einstein, right? Einstein, obviously incredible physicist, incredible mathematician. Yeah. He was also an incredible violinist. Oh, <laughs> look at Einstein. Yeah, just, it's okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> overrated. Um, yeah, an incredible. <laughs> Uh, an incredible violinist. Uh, you look at Da Vinci, right? He artist and an engineer. And, um, you know, I, I think that, um, a lot of engineers actually do have some sort of creative side and that doesn't necessarily have to take the, the role of art or like physical, like drawing or painting or, or music or dance or whatever, but like engineering itself is absolutely an art and you have to get really creative. And I think that there is definitely a bridge. And I think that there are more people out there with that left brain, right brain connection than we think there are simply because, right, exactly what you just said. We are told that you're either right brain or left brain. We are told that you're either an artist or an engineer, for example, mm -hmm. and not you can be both. Yeah, I, you know, just 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 listening to you speak, I wish I heard this when I was in high school or when I was younger. Um so that's, oh, that's, that's my goal. <laughs> I needed this too when I was in high school and younger. Yeah. And you know, and, and just for the reasons of mere practicality, uh, these jobs in STEM are high paying and are great careers for people, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, besides, mm -hmm. yes, you're sending people to the moon, but also you're making a paycheck, right? Um, <laughs> I, so as you go around speaking to, you know, especially in, in schools, what's the best kind of aha moment you've had when you've been talking to students and you see them go, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting it. Yeah. I, I think it's actually what I just said that you can do both. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a little story. So last month, uh, it was January. I traveled to my alma mater at the university of Tennessee, and I gave a talk to a couple hundred high schoolers from all around Tennessee who were trying to see if they were interested in pursuing a STEM major and then eventually a career. And, um, I had some, some younger girls come up to me and, you know, say, 
you know, they were just, they just wanted to talk to me. And I was like, okay, what are you guys interested in? Like, talk to me about like what you find is really interesting because no one ever asked me that when I, you know, when I was in school, it was always like, okay, you're good at music, go do that. Or you're good at math, go do that or whatever. Right. And, and so I asked them and, um, I had this one girl say, well, I'm really interested in like biology, but I'm also really interested in engineering. And I, I don't know how to choose. And I'm like, well, you don't have to choose. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, there's this thing called biomedical engineering. Right. And I was like, it combines biology and medicine with engineering. And you're creating the medical devices that we all use, like MRI machines and x-ray machines and whatever, right? Um, and then we took it a step further because she's like, well, I'm really interested in space. And I was like, okay, let's talk about bioastronautics. And it's Whoa. this entire field to study, right? Exactly. That was exactly her reaction is that it's this entire field where you're blending biology and medicine and technology and engineering with space and studying how space affects the human body and how humans can live and work better in space. And then also how we can take the lessons learned from that and make our lives easier and better here on earth. And her like entire world, I, I could just see it in her eyes. Her entire world just changed. Um, and it's because like no one exposes students to these, you know, sometimes niche areas, right? It's always just, okay, you could be a mechanical engineer. You could be an aerospace engineer, but like that is very, in my opinion, like putting someone into a box and not letting them explore multiple different passions. Um, and so that honestly like lives in my mind and I know it's super fresh, but I'm sure it'll live there forever because, um, you know, just getting to expose somebody to something that they would have never been exposed to before, uh, just completely changed the world. Oh, wow. Uh, as a science commuter, uh, communicator, what advice do you give people looking to increase STEM participation? Yeah. I mean, I think again, it, it's very dependent on everyone and where you live and what you have access to and stuff like that. But, you know, I really, uh, my, my biggest advice right now is to, uh, there, I mean, there's, there is a literal like wealth of knowledge that we have never had access to before until now mm -hmm. online. Right. And use that to your advantage. And so if I'm talking to teachers, you know, I expose them to people like Emily Calandrelli, the space gal and her Netflix show and all of her books and, you know, all the work that she does in schools to help with education. And, um, you know, my generation grew up with Bill Nye, right? Mm -hmm. But there's like a ton of other people doing a ton of different things now. And so, you know, getting out there and looking into, um, what resources exist, what people are out there talking about it, which brings me to my next point of social media. Like, oh my gosh, social media is absolutely incredible for exposing people to different careers and different passions that they might not have otherwise ever been exposed to. Yeah. And so, you know, now you can go on social media and find somebody talking about anything that you're interested in. And we've never had that before. And so I think it, it really goes back to that, like diversity and that representation and seeing you in a field that you're interested in, you can definitely find that now. Now, how do you think diverse voices, um, you know, as somebody who's working on the ground level in aerospace and um, how do you think diverse voices make projects better, make people work better? Um, I mean, like it just comes down to like, we're all humans. We all have different experiences and all of those experience collectively are better than one experience 
alone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I see this every day, just having people from different backgrounds um, at my company. And we all think differently. We all have a different set of experiences and uh, reactions to the world that if we can bring them all together and find the best ones and the best fit for whatever we're doing, right? Like that is the sum of all parts is better than the part itself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, ultimately it just like makes us better engineers and scientists and communicators and artists and like whatever, right? It does, it's not just limited to STEM, but it makes all of us better by collectively like lifting each other up. Right. And if, you know, you just look at music, if only one type of person was making music uh, for quite some time, it would be pretty limited, you know? Yeah, it would be pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Uh, let's see here. So going back, uh, as the Galactic Gal, you've developed a really great following on social media promoting STEM and things related to that. Uh, last week on the show, or maybe probably the way things come out, it won't be that way, but I was talking to a guy who was a journalist, <laughs> Gustavo Ariano, and I was talking to him about like what are his kind of do's and don'ts and best practices for Twitter. And he, he had a really great response and he was just like, I, I go, I go all in and I don't care. And I just have fun with it. And I don't mind what I stir up. He's like, that's the whole point. You know, I'm having a good time out there. What are your personal do's and don'ts for a platform like Twitter when you're communicating to a lot of people and you get a lot of, I'm sure, interesting responses to, to your tweets. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll admit I use Twitter the absolute least. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll try to uh, talk about this in the terms of like TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think my, I, I love that. Just have fun. Um, my, that would be my, my first do, uh, and you know, the best do, if you will, is just have fun and do what you're passionate about. I mean, that's why I started Galactic Gal in the first place was just to have, um, you know, a place where I could talk about the things that I liked and wanted to educate about. And that happened to be space. Um, and then, you know, I think a, a don't would be just not <laughs> look at the comments, mm. um, because there are always going to be people like your other guests said, like stirring up drama and like blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and it's just like, that just takes away from why I'm doing it. If I'm spending energy focusing on these negative comments that are coming from a place of hatred or bigotry or misogyny or like whatever, right. Um, that I don't have time right. to, to worry about that. And of course, like there are definitely times where it really wears down on me if I see something that I didn't want to see or whatever, but ultimately just refocusing back to like, I am really passionate about space and STEM education and you know, providing an opportunity for someone like me growing up to see somebody like, like me now working in the field and, and just kind of like exposing them to that, something that I didn't have. And so just really focusing on why I'm doing it and having fun with it, you know? And it's not, I guess my other don't would be like, don't focus on the algorithm and don't focus on the numbers. That's way easier said than done. I am really bad at that, but sometimes I have to like refocus myself and say, all right. The numbers don't matter, right? If you're talking about things that you're passionate about and like that passion is coming through, people will listen to it because people love to listen to things that other people are really passionate about. Yeah. So you're telling me that the uh, STEM engineer galactic gal gets obsessed about things like numbers and algorithms? You're uh, 
blowing me away here. Shocker. I know. This, gonna have to put this title, yeah. The Shocking yeah. Interview. Uh, but you know what? As, as you're saying, you're talking about, you know, the misogynistic comments or those reactions that you do get. And I think those reactions prove why you should be doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm going to continue to be a prominent woman in STEM in the industry and online, and it's going to bring in more women and it's going to build this community. And, you know, collectively, we're going to be able to like push, hopefully push those ideas and comments and, you know, like deeply held beliefs out, you know, eventually so that it is a much more equitable and diverse STEM workforce. I love it. Uh, so how important do you think communication is within the space industry? Do you, is there a point where you think it could be improved and that's that's why you're working on this? Or is it just like any industry where obviously communication is uh, important? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think the space industry really struggles with communication uh, for a couple of different reasons. I think one of them is that, um, you know, we're a bunch of engineers. We love the what. We love the like nitty gritty technical details. But we forget that, you know, as an engineer myself, right, we often forget that the public, the general public, the media, like whatever, right? They don't get as excited about that as we do. And so we have to refocus it to the why. Why do we do this? And that is super important because space has such a bad rep, right? Mm. Um, a lot of people think that space is a frivolous use of resources and that we should be spending our time and money focusing on solving the earth-based issues before we go out and venture into the solar system. Or, you know, the other comment that I get a lot is, well, we're just going to destroy the moon. We're just going to destroy Mars. We're going to do the same exact thing uh, that we did there here on Earth because we're human, right? right. Valid, valid concerns. Um, but it's the reality is that space is so critical to life on Earth. And if we only focus on the what, right, the technology, the widgets, the like nitty gritty details, that is just not accessible to a lot of people. And so we really have to focus on the why and break down the stigma that space is a frivolous use of resources and bring it back to, no, space is absolutely critical to life on earth. And, you know, you and I would not be having this conversation right now if it wasn't for space mm -hmm. and you wouldn't be able to swipe your credit card if it wasn't for space. And you wouldn't be able to use GPS if it wasn't for space, you know, and that extends to medical devices that we've um, developed in space and brought back down to earth that extends to water purification breakthroughs and, you know, things that are helping with climate change and poverty. And I mean, I could go on and on and on, but it is absolutely critical to life on earth. And it is so important for the industry to work on our communication practices to really always focus on the why and the importance and bringing it, you know, for lack of a better term, back down to earth mm. for everyone else. Um, because space is inherently inaccessible to a lot of people. Yeah. In addition to like all the things we've talked about with like, oh, it's rocket science. You have to be a genius. It's also just something that we don't ever interact with on a daily basis, like like a plane, right? Yeah. You get on a plane, you understand that side of aerospace. You interact with your phone, you understand that side of technology, but you don't interact with a satellite. You do on like GPS and stuff, right? right? Yeah. But it's not physical, it's not tangible. And so it's just really inaccessible to a lot of people. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. And if the failure to communicate that uh, has dire consequences for humanity in a way. 
So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because our fund, the space industry's funding comes from, you know, our ability to communicate with the media, the public members of Congress, right? Venture capitalists who aren't in the space industry. And if we don't get funding for critical space technologies, we're going to be severely hurting for things like climate change and, you know, whatever, all these other advancements that the space industry is super, super important for. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, we're kind of coming up against it, as they say. So I'm going to leave you with one question um, <laughs> that, because uh, given the fact that you are working on um, the quote gas stations in space project right now, where people can uh, just, when I read this, my thought was like, uh, what was that movie with George Clooney where he like got lost in space? There was a weird twist and it was Sandra Bullock. And they oh gravity right, and they kept moving to these like propulsion things to keep moving through space. I w- I thought mm-hmm. that's what I pictured in my head when I heard gas stations and space <laughs> project. Am I way off in in that assumption? Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen Gravity in a very long time, okay. and I didn't really like it, so I kind oh. of like pushed it out of my brain. <laughs> but um, so ultimately, it's it comes down to fuel. And so we can relate it back to fuel on earth, that fuel has driven economy and our ability to explore and, uh, you know, live in new places and, and build these like thriving economies. Right. And, um, we refuel everything here on earth. We refuel cars. Obviously you go to a gas station when you run out of gas. Uh, we refuel planes. We even refuel rockets now, right? SpaceX revolutionized that and now we can reuse rockets. The thing that cannot be refueled right now is satellites. Mm. And so imagine if you were driving a car, but your car costs like hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars and brand new off the lot and you drive your 350 miles and you run out of gas. Oh, Well, if you think about it, like that's how satellites are right now. You throw it away. You just leave it on the side of the road or like you throw it in a ditch and the ditch here is a metaphor for like burning it up in the atmosphere, but that's it. Um, it's a single use paradigm issue and it's really wasteful. It's really limiting in terms of like, uh, business models and revenue generation and technology development that we can do. And, you know, a bunch of other things. And so Orbit Fab, where I work, uh, we're doing gas stations in space. Mm. And that is, we, we are really trying to eliminate that single-use paradigm. And we're really trying to uh, be able to refuel satellites in space, which is uh, not only critical to like, you know, reducing debris and enabling new business models with Earth-based satellites, but it's also really, 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 really critical when we go to explore the solar system um, because we, you know, with our current technology, need to refuel in order to get to Mars. And so it's actually a very complicated problem, both from a engineering and a business perspective. And uh, we've been around about five years actually, and have some really great investment and government wins and technology development. And uh, it's, it's, it's a really, really cool company. And I'm really excited to be a part of it. Well, that's wonderful, and I'm glad that you are inspiring others to follow your lead and uh, enjoy a wonderful career as well. Um, Camille Elizabeth Bergen, you can find her on social media at The Galactic Gal. And uh, anything else that you'd like to leave our uh, listeners with at the end of this besides following you on socials? Um, no, I, I think the only thing I'll say is the sky is not the limit, and, uh, you know, 
the whole universe is your oyster. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Great talking to you today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.